You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily podcast on the Kentucky Wildcats, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, what is going on, Big Blue Nation? Welcome on in to Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast. I'm your host, Lance Dahl, writer for Sports Illustrated for various SEC-related things. But on this podcast specifically, we take a dive into all things Kentucky athletics. On today's episode of Locked On Kentucky, we are going to be talking about Kentucky basketball's rise here towards the end of the season. We're going to ask the question, can they keep the momentum up. We're also going to be discussing Kentucky basketball's win over Florida, what the Wildcats looked like, what we liked, what we didn't like from that game, and then also we're going to be talking a little bit about officiating on today's episode. Now, we're not going to rant and rave. We're going to try and keep things calm, but this is an issue in college basketball that I think that has been needed to be addressed for quite some time. I don't think it's getting the attention that it deserves, and so on today's episode, I'm going to talk about that a little bit later on in the show. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can hire qualified candidates more efficiently by matching open roles with people who have the skills, values, and experiences to help you achieve your 2023 goals. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. Terms and conditions apply. All right, so let's go ahead and get into it. So the question I wanted to ask on today's episode is kind of a refrain on what we've seen. We're seeing what we've discussed here on the show kind of being implemented and playing out the way that we have expected it to. So if you've not been listening to the show recently, we've been talking about Kentucky basketball, even following their loss to Kansas, still gaining momentum as the end of the season grows nearer. After that South Carolina game, we all sat here and collectively thought, well, the season's kind of over. But I also pointed out, too, that Kentucky could completely turn things around. They could win out. They could lose out. We didn't know what was going to happen, so there was no reason to sit here and say the sky was truly falling until the sky truly fell. And then Kentucky, after that South Carolina game, went on to win four straight, and they beat a top-five team in Tennessee on the road. Now, Tennessee, obviously, since then, has done some things to maybe give us the impression that they're not as elite as we may think. They're really, really good on the defensive end. Don't get don't get it twisted, but ha- they have flaws. It was still a really good win at the time. Obviously, Kentucky's lone quad-one victory of the year. They beat Georgia, A&M, Vanderbilt. Then they played Kansas in a close game that I essentially chalked up to, hey, they lost to a better team. They had opportunities. They couldn't execute against a better team. That's the way the cards fall sometimes. And then, following that game, there were some people who got back on the, oh my goodness, we're firing Cal. You know, there are meteors crashing down from the sky. Lexington's on fire. But my whole point, my whole sticking point, was that, hey, there are four games here after this Kansas game that I think we're going to win. Ken Palm thinks we are. I think Kentucky still has the momentum. I think they're going to go out there and implement what they've what they've learned, and they're going to go out there and execute. They had Ole Miss, Florida, Arkansas, and Georgia. I said, if we can get through this stretch 4-0, we're going to have to start to pay attention to Kentucky as they get here, get towards things here down the stretch. Because a lot of people disregarded this team as an NCAA tournament team. Everybody said, oh, they're not going to make it, and even if they do, they're going to suck. But we're starting to see some things rotationally change. We're starting to see John Calipari and this team maybe get a little bit more chemistry than they had at the beginning of the season. We're starting to see some of the players that we expected preseason to produce finally start to do that. And so Kentucky has ground out two close games, but still victories over Mississippi and Florida. And they look ahead to Arkansas. 
the most difficult team in this four-game stretch. Thankfully, they get Arkansas at home. And thankfully, I think Arkansas has a lot of flaws that we are not talking about that will be addressed on tomorrow's episode. But we're two out of the four, guys. And if Kentucky gets to 18-7, and I think they'll be back closer inside the top 25. I don't think they'll be there because of how just, you know, irrelevant they've been, I think, in the receiving votes category over the past couple of weeks. I mean, they got one vote in today's uh, AP poll. They got one vote. But I think it's really interesting here how Kentucky has sort of completely fallen off the face of the earth in terms of relevancy to the national scene in college basketball. But they've won six out of their last seven. And if they continue to win, and these games here, just past these two Arkansas and Georgia games, these games here are winnable. If they, if There's a world where Kentucky wins out or they lose one more. Kentucky could legitimately finish with eight losses and us heading to the SEC tournament saying, all right, we got a chance. Listen, the SEC this year has been terrible when it comes to offensive production, and Kentucky's one of the best in the league in that. They're one of the best in the country in offensive efficiency. They can go out here, and they can put together a few impressive performances and boost their resume and get all the way up to a six or a five seed, maybe even a four, depending on how, how things go which is crazy to think about. But again, you got to get the quad one wins. Oh, you got to get Auburn. You got to get Arkansas. You got to get Tennessee again. If you do that, though, there, guys, there are so many chances for Kentucky to take advantage of. It could end up being like that Kansas game. It could end up simply being an opportunity that got away from them. But there's, mo- there's so much momentum right now. You look at this Florida game. And let's go ahead and get into this Florida game. There were so many things in this game that I think you're kind of like, eh, you know, Kentucky had a lead, 13 points, 14 points at one point. Florida closed the gap there towards the end. Thankfully, Kentucky didn't do the thing that they've done this year, which is just completely fall apart and then lose. I mean, they did the same thing against LSU where it's just like, oh my goodness, we're going to lose. Oops, like, no, we're not. But again... There were some things also in this game where it's just like Case and Wallace got back into form. You know, C.J. Frederick played a key role in this one. Jacob Toppin, who I won't do highlight specifically in a second. I mean, there, there are pieces in this game, in this team, moving forward that I think we need to be excited and paying attention to. Excited about and paying attention to. I am changing my tune. And I've, I've tried to be as clear as possible over these last few episodes about painting a narrative of hope, painting a narrative of momentum, painting a narrative of excitement. Because I think, I, I don't know, but I, something's telling me that it, it may not happen, but at least there's something there. At least the fire is kindled. Now, whether or not some, someone comes along and throws gas on that fire is the question. But there's something there. There's something there. We need to pay attention to it. I want to dive into this Florida game. I want to dive into what we saw from the Wildcats. Before I do that, though, I want to tell you guys again about our friends over at LinkedIn. As a small business owner or hiring manager, you know that success in 2023 all depends on the team members you surround yourself with. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can hire qualified candidates more efficiently by matching open roles with people who have the skills, values, and experiences to help you achieve your goals. 
LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. It's incredibly easy to create a free job post, and you can add your job to the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you are hiring. They're really simple tools like screening questions. They make it really easy to focus on candidates with the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you would like to interview and hire. It's really simple. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college. Post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, continuing along here on the Monday edition of Locked On Kentucky. Lance Dahl hanging out here with you. Just kind of breeze through. I want to kind of set the scene here for you guys about continuing to reiterate. It may get old, but the the, the winning doesn't. I mean, just the, the winning doesn't get old. But re- continuing to, to reiterate, paint the picture of, hey, let's maybe not get so down and out about Coach Cal, about this team, about where they're heading, about next season, about the future of the program. Let's start small with these first few games here as we truck along through the back third of the year. And let's just focus on these one at a time. So you look at this Florida game. This was a game that Kentucky was favored to win by five. They ended up winning by five. It was a push. But the Wildcats showed that they could get out and they could stretch that lead at several points in this game. Again, want to reiterate, at one point, if I'm not mistaken, They were up by 13 or 14 in this contest after Casey Wallace hit a free throw about eight minutes left, if I'm not mistaken. And Florida just kind of slowly, you know, cut down that lead. Colin Castleton, uh, another really solid performance in this game. Oscar Shibway had some comments before this one where he was like, yeah, Castleton's going to have to fight for this. He's going to have to come in. He's going to have to show that, you know, he can can, uh, hang with us again because I'm going to be playing very, very physical. And Oscar, I think, lost the, lost the battle in just about every way he possibly could have. That's where I want to start in this one. Uh, Oscar Shibway played terribly in this one, and Kentucky still ended up winning. Shibway was 2 of 14 from the floor. Let me reiterate that. Shibway was 2 of 14 from the floor. He missed every single shot he took that was not standing directly at the rim. You go look at his shot chart. There were some uh, shots that he had in the paint that were floaters that he just missed. He had a couple of shots like he normally does at that free throw line, extended foul line shot, and he missed those. He had a couple from the left and the right blocks. He missed those. He just couldn't get anything going. He was just leaving everything off the mark. Played 34 minutes, had 15 rebounds, 3 assists. He fouled out. He had 3 turnovers. Uh, Oscar Shibwe has consistently been one of the highest, uh, the most turnover-prone players on this team. And whenever he doesn't have his points, I mean, the, the stat line just just reeks. And I'm not sitting here dogging him because he's a bad player. I think he's a phenomenal player on one end of the floor. But um, it's it's certainly not aided. This performance is certainly not aided by the fact that Colin Castleton had 25 points as opposed to Shibwe's four was 9 of 16 from the floor and, had, and made all seven of his free throws. Had five assists, eight rebounds, and three blocks. Funny story, actually. If, you listened to, if you've listened to the show for over a year, you know last year whenever we highlighted this, these two games, I noted in both of the preview episodes that Colin Castleton was one of the better assist men on this team, that the offense just kind of flowed through him at times, and so therefore, because he had a lot of touches, he also was able to distribute a lot more often than maybe he should be as a center. He had, a five, he had five assists in this one. If I'm not mistaken, he had pretty good games in the uh, two contests last year as well. So Oscar Shibway got beat up pretty badly in this one. 
And that's just kind of where we stand with that. I mean, the question of whether or not Shibway ever gets better defensively is just kind of up in the air. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, if Shibway had been a little bit more consistent in this game, if he had knocked down some of those outside shots, so to speak, um, this wouldn't have been a five-point win. It would have been a double-digit win. may have been a 15-point win, somewhere around there, if Kentucky just kept their foot on the gas. But it wasn't. And then the positive things start to roll in for the Wildcats. Again, free throw shooting, I think, has been very important for Kentucky over these past few games. You see it again in this one, 11 of 13 from the line, 84.6%. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Keep that up. Cason Mollis made all five of his free throws. Uh, Chris Livingston made both of his. Damian Collins came in, played five minutes, had three points, was big off the bench in his limited action in this one. Kentucky, whenever all cylinders are firing, I think... Maybe I've changed my tune on this a little bit. They play really well in transition with Severe Wheeler. But this team has become way more efficient in the half court than I could have ever expected over these last several games. You look at the Vanderbilt game as maybe a, you know just a, a point of emphasis here for this season about how there weren't a lot of shots that went up. Kentucky didn't score a lot of points. Darn, they were efficient. And this one, they were efficient. They were 45% from three, 45% from the field. It was an 84% from the line. If you had just been a little bit better from the floor, I mean, to get 76, 77 points, and to be that efficient, that's not you're not asking for more. I'm not sitting here saying I need Kentucky to score 80 tonight for me to feel good in victories. This was another solid one. C.J. Frederick was three of six from three. Cason Wallace, 7 of 10 from the floor. Vander, or excuse me, Florida didn't have an answer for him. They didn't have an answer for him at times. Whether it be in the half court, whether it be in transition, Wallace just kind of took things. He also had three blocks, a steal, and two assists. Kentucky players filled up the stat sheet in this one. They didn't really distribute the ball a whole lot, but they got the job done. And here's the player that I wanted to highlight the most out of, out of this contest. By the way, Severe Wheeler... Eight points, four or five off uh, uh, from four or five from the floor off the bench, uh, no turnovers, two assi- uh, three assists. That's exactly what you want out of your spark plug. Players played their roles really well in this one. I'll probably reiterate that in a minute. Jacob Toppin, though, we've mentioned him as as playing like a first round pick since dis- since the start of January. He had 24 points against Louisville, and since then he has some, he's had some really good contests. He's had six straight games here where he has scored in double figures. And over these last five, he's had 17, 12, 14, 18, and 17. 17 points in this one, 8 of 16 from the floor, 1 of 2 from 3, an assist, a block, 10 rebounds. So that's two double-doubles, three double-doubles over the last six games if you count them all up. He's, he's, playing, he's playing like a first-round draft pick right now, guys. He's playing like a first-round draft pick. If you've got somebody that's shooting 50% from the floor, which he has shot above 50% in the last five straight games, I mean, what else could you ask for? <laughs> he's, he's doing everything you wanted your power forward to do coming into this year. You could not ask for much more. You could have asked for maybe a little bit better of a defensive performance, maybe, from, uh, from him against Kansas, against Jalen Wilson. But outside of that, I mean, this is this is exactly what we asked for. This is we, we there there should be no complaining about Jacob Toppin right now. Again, I said I would reiterate this: the individual cogs on this team in this clock are now starting to do their job. 
that's interesting because of how hardly harshly we criticized Kentucky's chemistry earlier this year. The cogs did not fit. They did not work together. The clock did not run. Now, I don't know if it's coaching. I don't know if it's just more time together, which is weird with this analogy of a clock. But somebody's come in, and they've oiled the machine, and they've readjusted the parts. They've moved it around. They've moved the cogs around to where it now properly functions. And I don't want to say po- properly functions. I mean, as, as, as in saying, like, they're beating everybody because they're not. They lost to Kansas. But they're all starting to head in the right direction. I'm curious to see if the product gets better. I don't know if this is the ceiling. I don't know if we're going to see maybe a a strong dip back to what was this Kentucky team earlier in the year. I don't know what's going to happen. But right now, they're climbing the mountain. They're moving up. I'm just curious if they they already seen the peak or not. All right. I want to talk about SEC officiating. It's going to be a fun topic. I hope you guys stick around for this one. Before I get to that, though, I want to tell you guys about our friends over at Built Bar. Guys, if you're looking for a delicious treat, but you don't want all the fat and the calories, then you have got to try a Built Bar. We just got through all of the holiday season. My goal this year has been to eat healthier, to exercise, and to eat things that are good for me. But I also want things that taste good. I don't want to eat, sit there and eat things that I don't like. And if you want to get the best of both worlds... You've got to try Built. You don't have to compromise taste here. Healthy is actually tasty with Built. Seriously, they're so delicious that you won't think that they're good for you. And they're perfect for your New Year's resolution if you've stuck with that uh, all the way here through February. You may be asking what makes Built Bars so good. Well, for starters, they're covered in 100% real chocolate, every single one of them. And they come in really, really good flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, coconut almond. And I'm not sure how Built does it but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. So what's even better is that, again, they're really, really healthy for you. 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. And you don't need to wait around to get a box now. You can go to Walmart or Sam's Club instead of ordering at Built uh, or a, ordering Built Bars at Built.com. You can pick up a 4-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate or coconut puffs at Walmart. You can get a 13-bar box of brownie batter and churro over at Sam's Club. Would highly encourage you guys to go check these out. If you're going to order at Built.com, by the way, you would try to get, I would encourage you to get one of two flavors, cookies and cream or salted caramel. That Those are the two flavors that we have pumped up here on the show for what feels like forever. It's been over a year. And while I was in, the se- in Mobile for the Senior Bowl this past week, Dave Schultz, host of Locked On Sunbelt, came over to me and he gave me two Built Bars. One was salted caramel and one was cookies and cream. So I appreciate you guys out there who listen and know which flavors I like. And also, I would encourage you, if you have not tried those two flavors, go check them out because both of them are delicious. Again, you can head over to Built.com or you can head over to your Walmart or or Sam's Club today to get any of those flavors. They're all phenomenal. You can thank me later. All right, wrapping up the Monday edition of Locked On Kentucky, Lance Dahl, hanging out here with you. SEC officiating. You may say SEC officials. You may say it's the SEC's guys that have the problem here. As college basketball is sort of modernized over this past half decade or so, we're seeing a lot of frustration with the way that officials are calling the game specifically in the Southeastern Conference. A couple years ago, it was not for Sports Illustrated, but I wrote an article, it might have been for USA Today, where I talked about 
how many more fouls get called in the SEC as opposed to the next closest conference. It was like a thousand plus. It was like a thousand plus more than the next closest conference a couple of years ago. And I don't have those numbers in front of me, but what I can tell you is this. Whether they are called or whether they are not called, sometimes the decisions that officials make in this conference are not just bad, they're egregious. And we saw another example of that over the weekend. We've seen several examples of it in, in, in Kentucky's season so far this year, a couple times in the Michigan State game, a couple times elsewhere. But there was a team in this league, Auburn, playing another team in this league, Tennessee. Auburn was on the road in Knoxville. And it may be one of the most egregious no-calls I've ever seen. And in this game, Auburn was like down three. They needed a three to, to tie it at the end of regulation. Point guard hosts up a shot, hoists up a shot. And Olivier Cumois, the Tennessee defender, doesn't allow him uh, room to, 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 to get back down on the ground after he jumps up. And so the point guard lays like flailing his legs around Kumwa whenever he goes to, to land. And he like falls on his back really hard. It's very clearly a foul. Kumwa leaned into him to make sure he didn't have room. And uh, the official standing right there looking at it. No call. Game's over. And this isn't, it, it's not just like a, oh, we're sympathizing with Auburn thing. Who gives a crap? We're sympathizing with the fact that this is another fan base and another team that is having to watch the game that they are trying to win be taken away unfairly by a stupid official. And we're comfortable using that word. I'm com- Normally, I don't come after players or individual, individual people. The officiating crew for that game needs more accountability and more answers. Officiating as a whole in college basketball needs more accountability and more, this is a word I'm probably going to use a ton over here uh, as the season winds down, consistency. Because I was watching this game, three different times in this game, there was something that happened that had to do with a player shooting and not being allowed to land. He did not have enough room to land because of how hardly the defender closed out. There was the first time, it was called a flop. The second time, it was called a foul and the Tennessee player made the basket. And the final time, nothing was called. Very, very similar all the way across the board. Exact same thing happening with the player not being able to land in three different results every time. There's no consistency in this league when it comes to officiating certain fouls. And that boggles my mind considering they're, they're not just going, we're not just going off of vibes, guys. We're not going off of, oh, well, maybe that's a foul, but we're not going to call it. <laughs> he oops. It's like a college girl that continues to hit the curb. It's like, you know, they keep making the same mistake, but it's like it's very clear that there's a curb there. You see it, guys. They have a rule book. They see it. They know what a foul is and isn't. So you have to ask yourself the question, why in games like the Michigan State game do you just randomly call an offensive foul that is not an offensive foul? Why do you just randomly call flops or charges whenever it's clearly not a flop or a charge? Or worse, they are fouled and nothing is called. Not a thing. It boggles my mind, the inconsistency from some of these so-called professionals at their craft. And here's the worst part about it. Don Daly was the official for this game, the lead official for this one. And he currently, according to Kim Palm, is like a top 15 official in the country. But there are so many games recently where he has officiated, where you've come out in SEC games and been like, that was terrible. 
For instance, I've got several friends in the Auburn sphere. And there was a Auburn-Mississippi State game that happened like a few weeks ago. And I had somebody come to me and was like, that is the worst officiated game I've ever seen in this arena. And I'm like, well, sure enough, it's Don Daly. And I'm not saying Don Daly's out here costing teams games. It's the 43 points that Auburn scored in that particular contest against Tennessee that lost them that game. But it's not just them. It's every single team in this league. It's every single team in Division One. This isn't an Auburn problem. This isn't a Kentucky problem. This isn't a Tennessee problem. This is an everybody problem. There needs to be more consistency and accountability for these guys, and I don't know if it's ever coming. It's so frustrating to sit here and think, well, that could be happening to me next if I get this moronic crew because they clearly don't know what a foul is and isn't. And if the, listen, if the broadcast is saying it's a foul, then that's you have put yourself in a bad spot. If the broadcast is saying, okay, how was that not called? If the world is saying on social media, okay, how is that not called? This isn't just a, oh, well, then the outsiders that are too stupid and don't do actually do our job, they're too stupid to understand this. It's not one of those situations. It's not where it's like people that are, people are just simply ignorant to the rules. No, people are pulling up the rules, and according to the rule books that the officials should know, that was a foul. And there are so many other instances that we could dive into with Kentucky games here. If we want to link it back to the Wildcats, where you've seen things happen that you're just like, what? Like, no, that's not that's not how you're supposed to do your job. These people should either be fired or held accountable and adjust. That's it's as simple as that. That's not a that's not just a me thing. Everybody's saying that. Nobody's denying this. So why hasn't anything happened? That's what I want to leave us on today. Why hasn't anything happened to any of these officials? Is it just you're simply not able to get anybody else that can do the job just as well or better? Can we not get them to tra- change their ways and adjust and call the game better? I don't know. I don't know. I'm also not going to sit here and like criminalize officials because it is still, let's be clear, it's a difficult job. It's tough at times. But there's so many moments where it's like you have more than one person on the floor. Multiple people should be looking at this thing that's happening and yet nothing is done about it or the wrong thing is done about it and you go to review it and you still get it wrong. And it's those moments where the big pivotal calls happen that are incorrect that just make you wonder, what's going on here? Is there something more going on here? I'm not suggesting there is. But it, it makes a lot of questions, you know, become somewhat interesting if they're thrown out there. And they are being thrown out there because nobody has any answers. Again, final thing I want to say here. If everybody is upset with this, why is nothing happening? That's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Kentucky. Hey, you can follow the show on Twitter at Locked On UK. You can follow me on Twitter at Lance Dahl underscore. You can follow the show over on Instagram. That is at Kentucky Podcast. Again, any questions, comments, concerns, leave them in the YouTube comments. Hit me on the socials. I would see you all tomorrow for a preview of Kentucky's game against Arkansas. Hope you guys have a great rest of your day, and God bless.